Good evening, my friends. I hope it is midnight wherever you are. Let's imagine that it's the witching hour. Why don't you turn out all the lights? Yes, even that one. That's better. My name is Josh Hitchens, and I am your host tonight. Welcome to Going Dark Theater, and this midnight I will tell you the tale of the Amityville Horror. There are some houses with a history so malignant that even the address alone is enough to inspire terror. 1050 Cielo Drive is one of those places. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is another. But perhaps the most famous address of a haunted house in the entire world is 112 Ocean Avenue. That address belongs to a beautiful Dutch colonial-style house situated on the water in a small, beautiful, quiet New York town. It is the site of a tragic family massacre and the location of one of America's most well-known and controversial hauntings, the Amityville Horror. Since Jay Anson's book of the same title, with its subtitle, A True Story, was published in 1977, the Amityville Horror has become embedded in popular culture, with no less than 20 movies have been made, either directly or indirectly inspired by the story. Although the truth about what really happened during the 28 days of terror experienced by the Lutz family at 112 Ocean Avenue has been a source of controversy since the book's release, the tale has captured the public imagination and seems to show no signs of stopping anytime soon. Eleven of the horror movies with the name Amityville in the title were released within the past 10 years. Naturally, the people of Amityville do not appreciate this kind of attention. The Amityville Horror House is a mecca for fans of the paranormal, so much so that its address has been changed and its iconic, eerie, Eye-like attic windows have been removed and remodeled, all to discourage curiosity seekers from finding the house. They still do, and they probably always will. It has become part of American legend and buried somewhere, beneath, somewhere underneath the legend is the elusive truth. Amidst all the sensational tales of flies, 
demons and ghostly pigs. The horror that really happened at 112 Ocean Avenue is mostly glossed over or forgotten entirely. Not here. Ronald DeFeo Sr. was born on November 16, 1930. Known to his friends and family as Big Ronnie, he had looks that apparently rivaled Rudolph Valentino as a young man. Ronald DeFeo Sr. married aspiring model Louise Briganti. Together, they had five children. The firstborn was a son they named Ronald DeFeo Jr., who also went by the nickname Butch. The subsequent years brought four more kids into the DeFeo family, Dawn, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew. In 1965, the DeFeos purchased a large, gorgeous house in the picture-perfect town of Amityville, New York. The address was 112 Ocean Avenue. Louise DeFeo hung a sign in the front yard displaying the name of the family's new home. The sign read, High Hopes. Unfortunately, as is so often the case. The DeFeo family was not as perfect as it appeared from the outside. Big Ronnie was known to be both physically and verbally abusive to his wife and children. Once, when Louise was coming up the basement stairs with a basket of clean laundry, Big Ronnie punched Louise in the face so hard she fell down the staircase. Louise left her husband for a time after their fourth child, Mark, was born, but Big Ronnie managed to win her back. Relatives and friends of the DeFeos subsequently testified that Big Ronnie took most of his anger out on his eldest son, Ronald DeFeo Jr. Butch. Louise's brother, Michael Briganti, related an incident he once saw. We were all sitting down in the basement watching TV, and I don't know, the boy had done something. All of a sudden, he stood up, the father, and just pushed the boy into the wall. The boy banged his head or part of his shoulder. At the time, Butch... Was, 12, was two years old. Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. was overweight as a child. Because of his size, he often faced taunting from both his father and other children at school who called him the Blob. As he became older, people who knew him thought him moody and sometimes violent, 
Butch eventually dropped out of high school at the age of 17 and began heavily abusing drugs and alcohol. His addictions to amphetamines and heroin caused him to lose all the extra weight he had carried with him since childhood. Butch drifted from job to job, never staying employed for long. He often stole money from his father to support his increasing drug and alcohol addiction, sometimes as much as $500 a week. In 1973, during an intense family argument at the DeFeo dinner table, Butch pulled out a gun and put it against his father's head. Then he pulled the trigger, and there was only a click, and then silence. Although the gun was fully loaded, it did not fire. After this incident, it is said that Big Ronnie DeFeo joined his wife in practicing Catholicism surrounding the house at 112 Ocean Avenue inside and out with religious statues and icons, items to protect them all from evil. At 6.30 p.m. on November 13, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. ran into Henry's bar located one block away from his house. He began sobbing and fell to his knees, crying out, You've got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. Several men in the bar accompanied Butch back to 112 Ocean Avenue and searched the house. What they found was a home filled with slaughter. The entire family was dead, shot at close range, apparently while asleep in their beds, all of them found lying on their stomachs. Ronald DeFeo Sr., age 44, and Louise Briganti DeFeo, age 42, had both been shot twice. The four DeFeo children, Dawn, aged 18, Allison, aged 13, Mark, aged 12, and John Matthew, aged 9, had all been killed by one shot each. Mysteriously, no one in the family seems to have woken up to the sounds of the gunshots, and neighbors reported hearing nothing except the barking of Shaggy, the DeFeo's dog. The weapon used to kill them was a rifle, and ballistics experts later made tests and reported that gunshots from that weapon were heard a mile away from their house. And yet... These brutal murders seem to have been carried out in eerie silence. At first, Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. told police he thought his family had been killed by the Mafia, which police initially thought very possible considering the execution style of the shootings and the well-known fact that the Patriarch 
of the family had a brother who was active in the local mafia. However, Butch soon began to tell a different story. He revealed that he was the one who had murdered his family in the early morning hours of November 13, 1974, stating to police, Once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. After another violent night of arguing in the DeFeo house on November 12th, most of the family went to bed, but Butch stayed awake in the basement, drinking and getting high. By this time, he was doing large amounts of heroin, speed, and LSD, as well as drinking an entire bottle of scotch each day. Sometime around 3.15 a.m., on November 13th, Butch woke up from a nightmarish sleep. He subsequently claimed that he heard voices in the house, the voices of his family members conspiring to kill him. Butch also said once that he saw a hooded figure dressed in black appear before him in the basement. The menacing figure gave Butch the rifle, and he killed his family. He then took off his blood-stained clothing and took a bath. He left 112 Ocean Avenue, discarding his crime scene clothes as well as the rifle in a nearby river, and then went to work as usual, returning home after work to discover this horrific tragedy. DeFeo's attorney, William Weber, entered a plea of insanity. The plea was rejected and Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. was found guilty of six counts of second-degree murder. He was sentenced to six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. DeFeo was still in prison, and all his, appear, all his appeals and requests to the parole board have so far been denied. At the time of this writing, he is 68 years old. Over the years, he has changed the story of what happened that fateful night at 112 Ocean Avenue many times and the truth about what happened and why will probably never be known. Many authorities who investigated the DeFeo family murders believed that there was more than one, that there was more to the story than Ronald DeFeo Jr. being the lone killer that night. Ken Graguski, the former Amityville police chief, was haunted by the fact that no one in the family heard any of the gunshots or woke up during the massacre. He said, Why wasn't someone able to get out of that house? It's beyond me. It's beyond belief. 
Dr. Howard Edelman. The deputy chief medical examiner was present at the crime scene and conducted the autopsies on all the bodies. Dr. Edelman is on the record as stating, Even if they were sleeping, the report of the weapon that was used is supposed to be so loud that it would have, so to speak, awakened the dead. We did extensive toxicology not only on the blood and urine, but on all of the organs that we removed, and it turned up zero, that there wasn't anything in their body. They had not been drugged. Even the prosecutor on the DeFeo case, Gerard Sullivan, believed that there had been a second person involved that night. He later wrote in his book, High Hopes, I wonder about the questions that were never answered. Did any of the victims wake up? If so, why didn't any of them defend themselves? Why were all six found face down in death? Why didn't anyone hear the shots? At various times, Ronald DeFeo Jr. has implicated his sister, Dawn, as taking part in and even inciting the massacre that night. And many legal experts and investigators believe this may be based in truth. Crime scene investigators discovered that Dawn died of a severe gunshot wound to the head, yet there was absolutely no blood spatter on the white headboard inches away from her skull. There was additional blood spatter found elsewhere in the house, on a dresser and the floor, indicating that at least one person had been killed there and not in their bed as found. Dawn was the only victim that had unburnt gunpowder residue on her clothing, suggesting that she may have fired a gun herself before death. Other experts say this residue was deposited by the gunshot that ended her life, as with so many aspects of this case, it depends on whose evidence or which evidence you choose to believe. And the answer to the simple, agonizing question, why, remains sadly out of our reach, a cry in the dark. The high hopes of the DeFeo family came to a tragic end on November 13th, 1974. The beautiful house at 112 Ocean Avenue was now empty, waiting patiently for someone new. A little over a year later, George and Kathy Lutz, who had been married for six months, 
bought the house at 112 Ocean Avenue for the bargain price of $80,000. Kathy had three children from a previous marriage, Daniel, age nine, Christopher, age seven, and Melissa, age five. Like the DeFeo family before them, for the Lutzes, 112 Ocean Avenue was their dream house. It was three stories, five bedrooms, a swimming pool, and a boathouse on Amityville Creek. The real estate broker told George and Kathy Lutz about the tragedy that had occurred the year before. After talking it over, they decided nothing could stop them from having their dream house. Although all the bloodstains had long since been washed away, much of the DeFeo family's furniture remained in the house. The Lutzes bought the furniture for an additional $400, and the family moved into 112 Ocean Avenue on December 18, 1975. They stayed for only 28 days and then fled, never to return to the house again. George Lutz had been raised as a Methodist, but his new wife Kathy and her three children were all somewhat lapsed Catholics. Kathy knew a priest named Father Ralph J. Pecorano, who was renamed Father Mancuso for reasons of privacy in J. Anson's book The Amityville Horror. George and Kathy decided, giving the traumatic history of their new home, it might be a good idea for, pa- for Father Pecorano to come and bless the house. The priest did so and said that as he was saying the prayers of blessing, he heard a deep, masculine-sounding voice say very forcefully, Get out! Almost immediately after moving into 112 Ocean Avenue, George Lutz began waking up suddenly every night at 3.15 a.m., hearing the sounds of footsteps and knocking on the walls downstairs. Upon investigation, the house was always empty, but the family dog named Harry constantly barked at something no one else could see. It wasn't until later that George Lutz discovered he was waking up at the exact moment the DeFeo murders had been committed a year earlier, 3.15 a.m. Both George and Kathy also noticed that the three children, Daniel, Christopher, and Melissa, began to sleep on their stomachs the same way the bodies of the murdered DeFeos had been found in the very same beds. 
The thermostat inside the house read 75 degrees, yet George Lutz felt a chilling cold inside the house. He constantly built up the fire in the living room fireplace, but could never seem to shake the unearthly cold that seemed to envelop his body. His personality began to change as the days went on. George began neglecting the land surveying business he owned, and toward his wife Kathy and her children, he was becoming uncharacteristically violent and harsh, even beating the children with a belt one night because they had cracked a window while playing. One day, Kathy Lutz was in the middle of cleaning when she felt a pair of arms embrace her from behind. When she turned around, there was no one there. Then she was alerted by the cries of her children who showed her that a toilet in the house had filled with inky black water, giving off a horrible stench. Kathy discovered all the toilets were filled with the same black water, and then noticed the nauseating smell of perfume in the master bedroom, which remained unexplained. Also unexplained were huge swarms of black houseflies that appeared in the sewing room, keeping in mind this was in December, and the temperatures were around 20 degrees Fahrenheit. One night, awaking as usual at 3.15 a.m., George observed that Kathy was also sleeping on her stomach. All of a sudden, Kathy woke up screaming from a vivid nightmare of past terrors, crying out the words, she was shot in the head, I heard the explosions inside my head. The youngest child, Melissa, nicknamed Missy, began to be heard humming a strange song to herself when she was alone in her room. Then she began to tell her mother about a friend she had made in the house named Jody, who Kathy Lutz assumed was imaginary. In the middle of the night, George left the house to lock the boathouse door, which somehow became unlatched every night even though there was no wind. After doing so, George looked up at the house and saw Missy standing in her bedroom window watching him. But Missy was not alone in her room. Behind Missy, George could see the face of a pig with red glowing eyes. George ran into the house and up to Missy's room, finding her asleep on her stomach. The rocking chair in her room was rocking back 
and forth slowly all by itself. During the new year, snow came to Amityville. When George awoke at 3.15 a.m. to check the boathouse, he found cloven hoof prints like those of an enormous pig leading up to the house, imprinted in the freshly fallen snow. While meditating one day, Kathy Lutz again felt the sensation of being embraced by unseen hands. She tried to escape them, but she kept being touched. She finally broke down and cried, and then saw her daughter, Missy, standing in front of her. Missy said, Don't cry, Mama. Jody says you shouldn't cry. He says everything will be all right soon. Then Kathy noticed there was suddenly a terrible smell in the room. She looked up and saw the silver crucifix she had hung on the wall. That was where the sour smell was coming from. Kathy shuddered as she saw the crucifix had rotated itself and was now hanging upside down. George Lutz, who was obsessive about personal hygiene, stopped showering and shaving. He began to frequent Henry's bar down the street, and when he did, received stares of fright from the bartenders, and other regulars. They looked as if they had seen a ghost. When George asked them what was wrong, they told him that he looked almost exactly like Ronald DeFeo Jr. In the basement of 112 Ocean Avenue, the Lutz family discovered a hidden closet under the stairs that did not appear on any building plans of the house. The walls of the closet were painted a deep scarlet. They called it the Red Room and tried not to pay attention to the whimpering of their dog, Harry, who refused to go near the closet or down to the basement ever again. Not long after that strange discovery, George Lutz was drinking at, Harry, at Henry's bar when the bartender told him a story about a night he had worked for the DeFeo's anniversary party. Did you know you got a secret room down in the basement? There's this weird little room all painted red. You want to know something else? I used to have nightmares about it. Sometimes I dreamed that people I didn't know who they were were killing dogs and pigs in there and using their blood for some kind of ceremony. 
The paranormal events at 112 Ocean Avenue began to grow in terror and intensity. The two young boys, Daniel and Christopher, began to fight violently with one another, which they never had before. While stoking the fire one night, George and Kathy both saw the face of a grinning demon with half its head blown off, materialize in the white ashes on the wall of the fireplace. George Lutz awoke one morning at 3.15 a.m. to see his wife, Kathy, levitating two feet above their bed. Another night, Kathy went to check on Missy to find the room ice cold and the window wide open. When Kathy asked why Missy had opened the window, Missy replied that Jody had just left. Kathy went to close the window, and as she did so, she saw the face of a pig with red, glowing eyes staring back at her. Missy's room was on the second floor. Realizing that their house was haunted by forces they could not explain, George and Kathy Lutz decided to perform their own exorcism. They went from room to room, holding Kathy's silver crucifix, reciting the Lord's Prayer. All of a sudden, a cacophony of demonic voices shrieked loudly at them, screaming with all the power of hell's thunder, Will you stop? At seven o'clock in the morning, on January 14, 1976, George and Kathy Lutz, along with their three traumatized children and their dog, Harry, left 112 Ocean Avenue after only 28 days of occupancy, leaving most of their personal possessions behind, never to return. They claimed the horror continued to follow them for years, no matter where they went. In the years since, many have questioned the veracity of the Lutz's story of a demonic haunting at 112 Ocean Avenue. It is known that after they abandoned the house deeply in financial debt, George and Kathy Lutz had several meetings with William Weber, who you may remember as the defense attorney for Ronald DeFeo Jr. It's also important to remember that this was 1976. William Peter Blatty's novel, The Exorcist, had itself based on a reportedly true story of demonic possession, had been a huge bestseller. 
1973, the award-winning film version of The Exorcist, directed by William Friedkin, had made headlines all over the world as well as millions of dollars at the box office. George and Kathy Lutz were deeply in debt. William Weber needed evidence to support a strong appeal for his client, Ronald DeFeo Jr., the new defense being, literally, this house was haunted and the devil made him do it. Perhaps they could help each other. In an interview for People magazine in 1979, after the best-selling book and the hit film version of the Amityville Horror had been released, making a fortune for everyone, including the Lutzes, William Weber stated, I know the book is a hoax. We created this horror story over many bottles of wine. It's important to remember in all this mess that George and Kathy Lutz eventually decided not to sell their story to William Weber. They took the idea to another publishing company that offered them a much more generous 50% of the profits, and journalist Jay Anson wrote the book The Amityville Horror, A True Story. The blurb on the front reading, More terrifying than The Exorcist, because it really happened. That book sold millions of copies and has inspired 20 movies to date. William Weber and George and Kathy Lutz spent the next several decades suing one another for defamation of character. A judge in one of those cases said, based on what I have heard, it appears to me that to a large extent the book is a work of fiction, relying in a large part upon the suggestions of Mr. Weber. There is a very serious ethical question when lawyers become literary agents. George and Kathy Lutz got divorced in the late 1980s, but remained very close. They maintained the events told in the Amityville horror were mostly true, quote-unquote. They even took a lie detector test, and their answers about the haunting were all found to be truthful. It is very possible, and indeed extremely likely, that J. Anson took the story he was given and amped it up even more. Reading the book can be an extremely terrifying experience, even as you chuckle with the author's overuse of exclamation points at the end of every spooky sentence. Many of the edges of his telling of the tale have been found false in the years since. The ground the house was built on was never used by any native people to abandon their mentally ill and dying. An evil witch named John Ketchum never came to Amityville to escape the Salem witch trials. 
on the date the cloven hoofprints are said to have appeared in the snow happened on a date when there was no snow in Amityville. The red room in the basement was not painted red. It was an ordinary broom closet. The priest, who heard the demonic voice saying, Get out, never actually came to the house. His only contact with the George and Kathy Lutz was a single telephone call. But if you suspend your disbelief and read it alone at night, the book can still give you nightmares. Kathy Lutz died of emphysema on August 17, 2004. George Lutz died two years later on May 8, 2006. In the last interview given before his death, George Lutz stated about the impact of the Amityville horror, I believe this has stayed alive for 25 years because it's a true story. It doesn't mean that everything that has ever been said about it is true. It's certainly not a hoax. It's real easy to call something a hoax. I wish it was. It's not. Daniel Lutz, one of Kathy Lutz's children, made a documentary in 2013 entitled My Amityville Horror where he echoed his parents' claims and told his own story about how the supernatural events had traumatized him and haunted his entire life, leading to addiction and mental illness. Self-proclaimed and very famous demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren visited 112 Ocean Avenue in 1976 and claimed it was inhabited by numerous malevolent ghosts and demonic forces. They even took a photograph which captured a demon boy standing by the staircase. Ed and Lorraine Warren hold their own controversies, but have now been immortalized in the film series The Conjuring. The second movie even dramatizes their famed visit to Amityville. Ever since the Lutz family left 112 Ocean Avenue, no subsequent owner has experienced any paranormal activity inside the house. James and Barbara Cromerty bought the Amityville Horror House from the Lutzes in 1977. They lived there for ten years and have said often, nothing weird ever happened except for people coming by because of the book and the movie. Subsequent owners have echoed them, saying the house is not and never was haunted. As before, it depends on which evidence or whose evidence you choose to believe. Why has the tale 
of the Amityville horror captured the imagination so fiercely. In his indispensable book surveying horror literature and cinema, Dance Macabre, Stephen King has this to say about the blockbuster film phenomenon of the Amityville horror in 1979. Here is a movie for every woman who ever wept over a plugged-up toilet or a spreading water stain on the ceiling from the upstairs shower, for every man who ever did a slow burn when the weight of the snow caused his gutters to give way, for every child who ever jammed their fingers and felt that the door or window which did the jamming was out to get them. As horror goes, Amityville is pretty pedestrian. So is beer, but you can get drunk on it. Think of the bills. The woman sitting behind me in the theater moaned at one point, but I suspect it was her own bills she was thinking about. The main reason that people went to see it, I think, is that the Amityville horror, beneath its ghost story exterior, might as well have been subtitled The Horror of the Shrinking Bank Account. Think of the bills, indeed. Only these facts are known to be true. On November 13th, 1974. Ronald Sr., Louise, Dawn, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew DeFeo were all murdered in their beds while they slept. To this day, Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. remains imprisoned for brutally massacring six members of his own family. Every time a movie mentions his name or portrays his likeness in any way, he gets paid money. Next time we meet, we'll travel to an abandoned island off the coast of Italy where it's forbidden for anyone to go. It is the island of no return, Povelia. If you enjoy the podcast, I encourage you to leave a rating and a review if the spirit moves you. You can also like Going Dark Theater on Facebook. If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to episode transcripts and other spooky things I'm working on, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Josh Hitchens. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month 
and all funds go towards making this podcast a reality. I am your host, Josh Hitchens, and you've been listening to Going Dark Theater. Until our next midnight together, I wish you all very pleasant dreams. And now, going dark.